Welcome to Responding to Life, a podcast hosted by me, Josephine Atlery. Do you ever feel like you could use some guidance when life throws you a curveball? By listening to the narratives in this podcast, you will learn from other people's experiences and responses to challenging situations so you can fast track the learning curve to get ahead in your own life. Welcome to Responding to Life, a podcast where we talk about issues relating to health, fertility, and parenthood. On today's episode, I am joined by Jasmine Johnson, MD, who is a wife, mother of two, and maternal fetal medicine fellow at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Dr. Johnson received her undergraduate degree from the University of Michigan, medical degree at Indiana University School of Medicine, and completed residency in obstetrics and gynecology at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. In addition to her clinical work, Dr. Johnson is the founder and content creator of the blog, The Mrs. The Mommy, The MD. She currently serves on the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, Health Policy, and Advocacy Committee, and co-chairs the Diversity Task Force for the Department of OB-GYN at UNC. Dr. Johnson's research interests include health disparities within the obstetrics population and quality improvement efforts to help reduce maternal mortality and severe maternal morbidity. Her most recent publication, Racial and Ethnic Inequities in Postpartum Pain Evaluation and Management, was featured in the December 2019 issue of the Green Journal. Jasmine continues to strive to be a fierce evidence-based advocate for the Black community. Today, Jasmine will share her story on becoming a mom and raising her family while becoming a doctor, her role as both doctor and mom, along with her tips and best practices on how she manages to be all things Mrs., Mommy, and MD. So without further ado, let's begin our conversation with Jasmine. Welcome to the show, Jasmine. It is such a pleasure to have you on, and I've been so excited to speak with you. As I Thanks mentioned, so much in, for having me. Oh, yeah, no. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. As I mentioned in my intro, you are currently a maternal fetal medicine fellow, and I wanted to share just a quick story about why hearing that made me smile with remembrance. As many of my listeners may recall, after experiencing a second trimester loss and then adopting we pursued IVF one more time and became pregnant with twins. And due to my loss and a multiples birth for this next pregnancy, I worked with Dr. Kehawk Lim, a maternal fetal medicine specialist in Boston, to monitor my pregnancy. And under his care, I held on to the babies until 40 mm-hmm. weeks and delivered them via C-section. So Aww. there are a few doctors in our family's history that hold a really yeah. special place in our hearts. And Dr. Lim was one of those. Dr. Nachman was the man who saved my husband's life, and Dr. Schoolcraft wow. helped us bring our two sets of twins into existence. So oh just a, <laughs> it's amazing to speak to you, um, Jasmine, because, you know, doctors have made such a huge impact on our, the lives of our family, and we'll never forget them. So in speaking with you today, I want to speak to you in that spirit of that gratitude for those in the medical profession who dedicate their lives to help other people and advance science and medicine in that effort to help humanity. Oh, well, thank you so much for saying that. And that is 
hearing your story gives me encouragement and is the reason why I do what I do. So thank you for sharing that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So there are so many things I wanted to chat with you about today, but I think it makes a real sense to just do a quick overview of your journey to becoming a physician and when your own children came into the picture. Sure. Well, I um, am a child of a physician. So my my earliest introduction to medicine was hanging out with my dad, who was a is a urologist, and he would go to work on the weekend. And so like one of the ways that I would spend time with my dad is I would go to the hospital with him and kind of wait for him to see all his patients and come back. And um, in waiting for my dad, I would talk to the nurses and some of his colleagues and they always had such wonderful things to say about how he was caring and compassionate and an excellent doctor. And that really struck a chord with me in that I wanted to make sure that whatever I did in life, it would be something that was meaningful to others and felt felt like I wanted to leave something with people when I interacted with them, something that hopefully improved their lives and, and left them better than, than how I found them. And so um, going through school, I started to gravitate towards science and realized that medicine was the path that I was going to pursue. And my, my first child, Nate, actually came when I was a senior in college. So that was like the biggest kind of obstacle in my life where obviously I did not plan to have a child in college. And I had to decide if medicine was still a, a dream I would be able to pursue. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to. And through that research and wonderful women who stepped up as mentors to me, I continued on. Um, and also that's how I kind of got the idea for my blog, because there weren't a lot of women blogging about their journey in professional school with children. But I knew that there were other women out there that probably wanted that information, um, other future parents in professional school. And so that's where the Mrs. The Mommy the MD was born. And, and that is my kind of circuitous path to medicine. But after college, I then did a year of what's called a post-bac program. I actually didn't get into medical school the first time around. And, um, and then I reapplied and got in at uni Indiana University School of Medicine and graduated from there in 2014. And then we moved to North Carolina, where I am now, where I did a four-year um, residency in obstetrics and gynecology. And I'm now in my last year of fellowship in maternal fetal medicine. So that's subspecialty training within OBGYN. Your story is so amazing. I love it. It's <laughs> Thank you. just really inspiring to hear how different people come into their lives and then just manage, as you said, the obstacles that, that you come upon. And so, yeah. you know, what made you decide to pursue obstetrics and gynecology, and then later uh, specialize in maternal fetal medicine? Um, so I would say my pregnancy experience with my son, Nate, definitely opened my eyes to OBGYN as a field in that as a college student who really wasn't sure how things would go with my pregnancy and becoming a mom at the age of 21, I really lent on you know, my OBGYN visits. So not only did my doctor check on me and make sure that physically things were progressing okay in my pregnancy, but she was almost like a therapist. She would listen to what I was doing and check on me as far as school and how I was managing with, you know, my boyfriend, who's now my husband and, and how my family was handling the news. And she became a lifelong friend. I still keep in touch with her. But I, I would say that that point of contact is where I realized, wow, this is more than just ultrasounds and, and delivering the baby, which is awesome and the wonderful part, but that you get to hold a woman's hand through 
the ups and downs um, at all stages of her life. And then when I did my rotations in medical school, we actually get to sample everything. So we go across all the specialties. And I really did enjoy all of them. But what really struck a chord with each one was the women's health aspect. And when I did my OBGYN rotation, which is my last one in medical school, I really felt like I had found my people in in personality match, but also the specialty as a whole that I get to do a lot of different things. You know, we get to operate, we get to see patients in clinic, we get to deliver babies, we get to support women through devastating news, through news that, you know, has been waited on for years. And, And that is something I'm a feeler and a very emotional person. And it really was it just seemed like the perfect spot for me. I love hearing that. There's so many things uh, about what you said that I wanted to touch upon, but one of them was about your relationship with your doctor as you were Mm -hmm. pregnant with your son, because many of the women who are listening right now are, are trying to conceive. And one thing that we've discussed regularly on the show is the importance and the difference it makes to have uh, your medical team feel like they're partners with you Absolutely. and to not just feel like you're a number, which many of them do, you know, just so many are processed through, but the ones that really made the journey a lot easier was having that feeling that you you were connected and that your doctor, or your nurses were invested in you. And so that's, and it's inspiring to hear that she then is, you know, one of the reasons that made you pursue um, ob and then, later, sure. you know, fetal medicine. That's amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. As, as I mentioned, you know, there are a lot of women on the, who listen to this podcast that are trying to conceive and mm-hmm. they undergo various forms of assisted reproductive therapies, you know, oftentimes resulting in multiples. So mm-hmm. just, I wanted to touch upon your interest in, and in your fellowship in maternal fetal medicine, just for those who aren't don't really know when one becomes pregnant, when and why would they ever be seen by an MFM? That's a great question. And I actually would say you take a step back. And so a lot of women come to me for something called a preconception consultation. So maternal fetal medicine, obviously we take care of women during their pregnancy. And the simplest way is to say that my my patients are women who may come into their pregnancy with a high-risk condition or a medical history that's a little bit complex, or during the pregnancy, their baby may be diagnosed with something that then makes their pregnancy high-risk. And so those are kind of during pregnancy when you would come. But then we also have women that come and chat with me before they even get pregnant. So if you know that you have a history of something um, prior to pregnancy, it's great to talk to us even before you get pregnant because we can talk about ways to either optimize your health before pregnancy or go through all of the potential complications or high risk issues that could arise during your pregnancy with regards to whatever condition. So for example, um, a woman who may have diabetes prior to pregnancy or high blood pressure, all of those things, even if they're well controlled outside of pregnancy, it's great to talk to someone about what, what you should look out for in pregnancy, what you may be at a higher risk of because of those things. And then um, like you said, 
with twins, so absolutely twin pregnancy is a high risk pregnancy and there are different types of twins, which I'm sure you're familiar with too. Um, and so absolutely your primary OBGYN can refer you as needed to a maternal fetal medicine doctor. So we do a lot of the ultrasound. So some women, they may interface with us just during their ultrasound um, because that is a part of our specialty training. We learned how to essentially be radiologist for pregnancy. And so you may see us then, even if you don't have a high-risk pregnancy. And then if something was to happen or change during your, your pregnancy where you became high-risk, then you would be referred to a maternal fetal medicine doctor. And some structures of practice are that you would see your primary OB or who the doctor that you've been seeing all along in conjunction with us, or depending on the setup, you may um, ref be referred to us so that we can take over your entire care. So I see women throughout their entire pregnancy and also do deliveries. And it just depends on where you live and how, how the practices are set up. That was a fantastic explanation. Thank you so much <laughs> for breaking it down. You know, I knew, you know, as you were going through, I'm like, okay, that's, yep, that's what I did. And that's mm -hmm. why I did that and all of that. But, you know, for w women who just became pregnant uh, and, you know, don't really know, it's, it's helpful to understand all the different um, specialties that are out there that they may be interacting with. And, you know, as I mentioned, my doctor was just like, he holds such a special Aww. place in my heart. He ended up being like, ended up being transferred over to his care. And so mm -hmm. I would see him so often because of yeah. all the ultrasounds. I was there. I felt like I was there all the time. I just, you probably like were. Set up shop over there. <laughs> yeah, and I just made a joke of it. I mean, it was, yeah, I lived there, but he was just the most pleasant guy. And, just, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. you definitely will already make an impact on so many lives, Jasmine. So that's amazing. Aww, thank um, you. One thing that I mentioned in your intro was that you wrote a piece on racial and ethnic inequities in postpartum care. And given everything that's happening, I would love for you to share a little bit about your research and just more information about what your interests are in, in, in that regard. Sure. So, um, I know that everyone is familiar with doctors in the clinical setting and that we see, we see patients, but one of the other aspects of some practices is that doctors may be involved in research. So for me in maternal fetal medicine, we actually have some dedicated research time within our fellowship. And my interest in, in our research has been health disparities. So I'm a black woman who has had two children. I didn't mention my daughter, Isabella, in my like whirlwind path to medicine, but it's probably just a, a function of the fact that she's just so chill and she just came and went with the flow. <laughs> but, awesome. but I've had two babies um, and two different experiences with my pregnancies um, by virtue of zip code. And one of the things that we see in medicine is that your zip code di dictates outcomes more than like your race or even where where you um, what your genetics are. And so um, that is related to sometimes structural racism, which is uh, big in in the media right now, um, and how different experiences, um, how different outcomes are related to the experiences of that person going through healthcare, whether that's related to their race, wh whether that's related to their socioeconomic status. And so for me, my research focus is Black women and Black maternal health outcomes. The study that you referenced in particular, we looked at 
postpartum care. So some women have cesarean deliveries, just like you mentioned with your twins. And a lot of times those, those cesarean deliveries are scheduled for whatever reason, like if you have a high risk condition or if you've had a cesarean delivery before. And a lot of times those are our most straightforward surgeries that we can do. We know they're going to happen and the recovery is pretty straightforward, you know, if there's no complications in the OR. And so for our study, we looked at women who had scheduled cesarean deliveries, did not have any um, things that we would think would make their recovery more high risk or more difficult. And we looked at their pain experience postpartum. So while they were in the hospital, we were able to see based on the medical record, how frequently their pain was assessed. So how many times the nurse came in and asked them about their pain score, how much pain medicine they were given, whether that was um, opiate pain medication, so like an oxycodone, which some women definitely need after a cesarean delivery, and then also non-narcotic pain medication or like ibuprofen and Tylenol. And we also looked at what women reported their pain scores were. And so we were able to get um, data on over 1,700 women over this time period. And what we found is that compared to white women, Black women and Hispanic women had their pain assessed less frequently. They did report higher pain scores. And despite reporting higher pain scores, they received less narcotic and non-narcotic pain medication. And that was after you controlled for things that maybe would cause more pain. So we made sure that women were not included in the study if they had to have like a hysterectomy at the time of their cesarean delivery, or if they had to have significant pain medicine because they had um, general anesthesia. And so what that tells us is that there's something about their care that was different um, and we couldn't explain it based on clinical factors. And so that is what the crux of my research is about. I'm looking at why black women and women of color have different experiences because what we've already established in the research is that it really has nothing to do with, you know, socioeconomic status or the argument that populations of color don't get prenatal care or don't have insurance, that actually is not true, um, or that patients don't advocate for themselves. And, and we've had celebrities in the media say that they've advocated for themselves and they still were ignored. And so now that we've called out the problem, my next phase of research is looking at solutions and how we can call, call out these, these um, disparities and fix them. That is amazing. I, I oh, you know, you. just that first sentence where you say that your zip code can dictate mm-hmm. the outcome and the care that you receive is just fascinating. You don't really yeah. necessarily, like you kind of know, but then you don't really right. think about it in that, <laughs> in that manner. And so now you're in that phase of, you said, looking into solutions for how mm-hmm. to, to address this. Um, is this something that you then need to take care of while you're in your fellowship? And is this something that you plan to pursue afterwards? So, so both, absolutely. So what was really eye-opening about our study at our institution is that a similar institution in a different part of the country did the same study and found the same results. So it's not just our hospital um, that had that, that data. And so my suspicion is that hospitals all over the country, if we looked at it, we would find, find that. And so um, solutions surrounding how do we standardize care? So even if there's bias at play, women won't get differential treatment. So for example, we've changed the way that we give pain medicine for a cesarean delivery. Instead of um, relying on the patient to ask for it, 
it should be scheduled and the patient has the right to decline so that, you know, at a certain interval, every woman should be offered pain medicine if she wants it. Um, the other thing that we are talking about is how do we train all of our staff? So working in an institution where there are a lot of young doctors, young nurses, everyone is starting to learn, but then also our more experienced providers, a lot changes. And so making sure that everyone is up to date on protocols, making sure that everyone is up to date on health disparities. I think that for a while we we kind of said, oh, well, you know, it's not us, we do research. We are on the cutting edge of all of these discoveries. Like, of course, like there's no racism or, or disparity here. And so making sure that people know that no one is immune, a bias, an implicit bias is something that you don't actually acknowledge because it's implicit. And so educating everyone on implicit biases and how to overcome them are just some of some of the basic steps, but I think that it, it goes beyond the hospital as well and how we fix this. That's so fascinating. You know, I, I could speak with, with you on this for, for <laughs> quite some time, but I want to pivot into just your, um, just your experience in motherhood while you're working and while you're in school, because you've lived that. And I would just love to hear some of the pointers and share that with our audience. So you came, you know, everyone comes into motherhood in many different ways Mm -hmm. and we adapt our lives to our new roles as working moms. And I just would love for you to share just some of the lessons learned that you, you received while raising your children as you pursued your goals you know, and in particular being in medical school. Yeah, absolutely. I think probably a lot of my lessons are irrespective of whatever path uh, a a mom chooses to go on. But um, I'd say the first one is, you know, you can plan as much as you want to, but there's no perfect time to have a baby. There is no perfect setup. And I think for me, especially having my son Nate in college, That was really devastating to me because I had no idea when I wanted to have children. I knew I did, but I knew that it would be, you know, after medical school, after I was (laughs) this, this physician working in the community. And, and now that I look back on it as crazy as my life was, it probably was the perfect time for, for me to have my son. And then, you know, you obsess over, well, when do you have the next one? And again, that was a, a big deal for us, but there's no perfect time. And what we do know is that time is going to pass regardless of what you decide to do, whether that's whether you're deciding to make a decision about your career or going back to school or whether you're going to have children and whether or not you decide that decision, the time is going to pass. So you just want to make sure that if you look five years down the line, you're not going to regret not having made that decision. And and I think that for me, especially spending a lot of my children's early years in medical school and training, I never wanted to look back and say, oh, I wish I had stopped at that time and like focused on my son or focused on my daughter instead of like going to the library or instead of studying a few extra hours, maybe I should have gotten home for dinner and, and you know, done the bath routine and the, and the bedtime routine. And I think that it's not perfect, but having a good, at least, state of mind where you can reflect on, am I doing the things that five to 10 years from now, I'm going to be glad that I invest in my time in that. Um, and, and that is not to say that I am not excited and happy that I invested my time in medicine, but I think that you need to make sure that your priorities are in order either way. Um, and as I think about 
things that were helpful for me as a mom, quality over quantity of time. So going back to the time that you spend with your kids, making sure that when you are home, you're not on your phone or doing something that really isn't important and do the important things when you do have the time. And so I would obsess over like, oh, I was only home for an hour. Well, what what was I doing during that hour? Was I like actually being meaningful with my time or was I, you know, you can easily waste a ton of time on Facebook. And so just making sure that you're, you, you surveillance yourself and, and you're not um, wasting the time that you do have. And the other thing I would say is communicating with your kids. I've always been honest with my children about what I'm doing and where I'm going when I'm not able to be home. And so it's just kind of ingrained in what we do. Like my, my son would start school when mommy would start school and we would have our like first day of school pictures and mommy studied and he would have his little baby laptop and he would sit next to me and it was very cute for pictures. But I think that like (laughs) the important thing is that, is that my kids, saw me doing something that was for me um, and something that I always felt was a dream. And, and they saw that my family supported me and my partner supported me and that it's okay to chase your dreams and it's okay to sacrifice a little bit to get something that's going to be worth it in the end. And that is a lesson that I hope they continue into their adult years. I know they don't want to go into medicine and that's okay. Like my son has said over and over again, absolutely not. <laughs> and that's time. okay. Right. <laughs> no, it's fine. But I, I just want them to know that sometimes the best things require sacrifice and time. Um, and then I would say the other thing is to give yourself as much grace as you give everyone else and like be honest about what's going on. Cause I am the superlative queen. So I would be like, you know, I'm always home late. I'm never able to do this when in actuality, that's not true. And just watching yourself talk and being mindful about how you are framing your experience, because the mental is just as much as like what's actually happening. And you can have a very skewed reality, especially because I don't think society really celebrates mothers sacrificing certain things in the home for their goals. You know, I I think that that's one of the other reasons why I started the blog is that, you know, it's great if you start a blog about like crafting or baking, which is wonderful. But I also think it's important for there to be representation of women who decide that they want to do something for them and they can still have the other things that they want in their life. You don't have to give up your family because you want to do a career that may take some time and some sacrifice. There's just so many things. No, that was fantastic. (laughs) As I'm listening to you, I'm like, I'm totally digging this. I love everything you're saying, Jasmine. You know, there are many things that are overlaps of what you were saying and what I like to share with people when I'm trying to talk to them about being mindful, you know, and, and meditate and being mindful as parents, but just as people, you know, walking on this earth that, um, one of the things that struck me was just that there isn't a perfect time and you're right. And when you're talking about it, I remembered my, my best friend from college, she's an OB-GYN as well. Mm -hmm. And as her and her uh, husband were trying to figure out they were in, you know, they were dating in medical school. Like they were actually planning out when, which year would be best for them to, to have kids, you know, 
like after medical school, during their residency yeah. and all of that. And then, you know, we're surrounded by doctors. Everyone on my husband's side are all doctors. So my, <laughs> the same thing happened with my brother-in-law and my, my sister-in-law. Yeah. Through the same conversations that we were all privy to. And it was just fascinating to see how they, you know, they at least had some information that they could use to help them navigate those life decisions. But at the same time, anything could happen, you know, mm -hmm. and you just kind of have to roll with the punches. And exactly. And then the, you know, the quality over quantity, that is so key because you're right. We could spend endless amounts of time supposedly with our kids, but not mm -hmm. really being there. And exactly. that's like a big piece of how I talk about being mindful because you have to understand being in the present moment and being like, with the people that you're with or being with yourself to really, to really be there and experience it versus just mind mindlessly doing stuff. And, exactly. you know, our families deserve that. We deserve it for ourselves as well. Mm -hmm. And and then that last piece about giving yourself, <laughs> you know, there were some other ones about communicating with your kids and being models for them. That was, I just, I could picture you like doing your first, I do that every year with the kiddos, taking the pictures of the yes. first, their first year. And that's so cute that you're doing it with your, your kids. That's so sweet. Um, but that important piece about giving yourself grace and being yeah. compassionate to yourself because we all go through, you know, as moms, we take on so much and we feel like we are the ones that need to be doing it. And then we have this tremendous mom guilt. And it's unfortunate because, you know, we already are doing so much, but we don't, you know, that talk that we have to ourselves, mm -hmm. that negative talk that's in the back of our mind can be so detrimental versus having this like cheerleader on, exactly. on, on your shoulder telling you how amazing you're doing and all the great things that you're doing for yourself and your family. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um you know, before we end, I'd love for you to, you know, I can keep talking to you forever. <laughs> I know. This I is wonderful. <laughs> I'd love for you to share uh, your gratitudes for today. Cause I always like to shift into positivity as we end the show, as people go back into their lives. And it's always inspiring to hear what other people are grateful for in their lives. Yeah. Well, I think probably this is a common gratitude for a lot of people, but I'm so grateful for just the basic needs being met in our house, shelter, nutritious food, having our health, that is huge. Um, grateful for my family. And I think that despite this pandemic and sometimes wanting to just pull, pull my hair out about all this time that we have been sequestered, I'm, I'm grateful that I have this wonderful family that I love and support and supports me. Um, and I'm grateful to have a job where I'm able to support and advocate for and help women through all these crazy times in our life, especially now. It's it's just as therapeutic for me, I think, as it is for, for my patients. And so that that is great. Um, thank you for asking me what I'm great, grateful for. This is great. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I'm grateful to have you on the show and to be able to have this conversation. And, you know, in the spirit of... Um, helping others. I'd love for you to share with the audience where they can find you on on social media, your blog, and if there are any causes or how they can support your vision, I, I'd love for you to share. Well, you can find my blog at mrsmommymd.com. And I'm also really active on Instagram 
at Mrs. Mommy MD and on Twitter at Jasmine R. Johnson. And um, like I was saying before, one of the causes that I really, really is near and dear to my heart is Black maternal health. And so um, on my Instagram page, you can actually see kind of a summative story about different um, organizations you can support and learn out, learn more about Black maternal health disparities and the state of maternal mortality in the United States um, if you are interested in learning more, but also getting involved in the movement. Thank you so much for sharing that. And so I'll also have that in the, the podcast summary so that everyone can see that information and connect with you. Once again, thank you so much, Jasmine. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode with Dr. Jasmine Johnson. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. For more information on Dr. Johnson, be sure to check out her blog. Links to her blog and social will be in the episode summary. To listen to past episodes of Responding to Life, be sure to hop onto my website, jayatlurie.com. You'll also find on there free video meditations to try, links to articles I've written, and interviews I've had on other podcasts about mindfulness, meditation, and my fertility journey. Be sure to sign up for my monthly newsletter to get all the latest information. And you can also book sessions with me on my website, one-on-one -on -one small group corporate sessions that are general, fertility specific, and parenting specific. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Responding to Life, a podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to receive a bi-monthly newsletter with an exclusive and free video meditation, along with wellness tips and deals, please go to www.respondingtolifepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter by entering your email address in the pop-up box. In there, you'll also learn my seven-step process on how to meditate like a pro so you can stress less and live more joyfully. If you enjoyed the show, I invite you to share it with your friends and leave a rating and review on whatever podcast outlet you use. I look forward to sharing another inspirational story with you real soon.